I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. First of all, I have to say how much I regret the comments I made to the BBC reporter. Uh, it was uh, a mistake of mine. I'm profoundly sorry for it. Uh, it's not in my character, as uh, I'm sure many people would tell you. I have phoned uh, phoned the girl up and spoken to her about it, and she's accepted my apology. So uh, I move on, but it's something which uh, obviously I regret doing. This is the Wise Men's Here podcast. Welcome along. Uh, to all of you listeners, Gareth isn't here this week, so I don't have him to have a go at me there for mucking the intro up or laugh and make some sarky comment. I do wish he was here um, to some degree because he's, he's went fully against David Moyes, I think, in the last couple of days. I'm joined by Phil Smith from The Echo. Uh, he used your platform to vent his anger, which is fair enough, I think, Phil. Yeah, I think um, I think everyone would acknowledge that whatever your opinions, it was a very... Uh, very raw and emotive piece. Um, I thought, I thought, I thought it was superb, and you know, as um, obviously I've sort of, I'm no longer on the terraces, but can certainly identify with a lot of the, lot of the feelings, and probably reflected, I think, maybe a sense of futility among the Sunderland fan base, a sense of um, not really seeing what can be done to change things, and the the, the kind of understandable anger that stems from that it's that apathy word again isn't it we're also joined by our own Michael Loff you didn't go down the weekend Michael but you're all set for a trip to Leicester I am for my sins unfortunately hey look we've been through it all when I, when I was your age we probably went through worse just slightly slightly mind um, Phil you were at the game at the weekend I think um, what has has done it with Moyes for a lot of people is the comments he made at the end of the game acknowledging the impact that Kazri and Ndong made when I would say 90-plus percent of Sunderland fans would have those two starting? Yeah, I think the probably a, um, what I would acknowledge is a slight change of opinion from, I can't speak for Gareth, but maybe Gareth's journey, shall we say, to, to where he currently stands, maybe that reflects a little bit that the long term, some of the long-term things that we've given David Moyes credit for um, not credit, that's the wrong word, space for, um, excuses for, injuries mm. and signings. Yeah, Those things have cleared up and the decisions that have been made since then have been very poor. So, for example, what I, what I mean by that is that we've all said, listen, the injury selection, the injury situation is dreadful and we acknowledge that they'd be in a better position without it. However, now having a relatively full squad, he's made some truly inexplicable selection decisions that have been backed up by strange reasoning. And I think that's a lot of people are now going, well, hang on, it's not about injuries anymore. You've got genuine decisions to make and you've made them and we disagree with them. Um, and, you know, we were told in January that the signings were coming in. We were told they wouldn't make that much of a difference. We were told, listen, there's not many players who want to come to Sunderland at this point in time. These people come and are here to add depth, to add a different option, to add a bit of cover, which I think everyone shrugged their shoulders and say, OK, that's reasonable logic but you're now in the situation where one of them's keeping the best midfielder in the club out of the team. 
which is not what anyone signed up for when Darren Gibson arrived at the club. Mm. Darren's looked okay in patches. I think he's quite a tidy technical player. But physically, I think it's perfectly clear to everyone that injuries have taken their toll. And when he's keeping Ndong out of the team, who I would definitely say is the best midfielder at the club, then I can see why fans are looking at it and saying, mm. well, hang on, that's that's a different record to what we, you know, we've been listening to. I mean, it's 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 confusing in a way that a manager would come out and say, I didn't play, as you said, in, in the opinion of a lot of Sunderland fans, the best midfielder because of the opposition when, in in fact, should you not be looking at a way to tackle that problem and, and to get around that problem so your best player can play. If you think he's going to get roughed up, put him somewhere else, put him put him a little bit further wide or something, which he, he has done with him in the past. Well, I th- it was a bit frustrating, really, because Ndong came on and played in that sort of down the right flank. Mm. And was was excellent, exactly. and you and you looked at it and thought, actually, that's a really clever way to get around the problems exactly. that you're talking about. You know, exactly. that I, actually, you've identified a problem, and you've come up with a solution that's worked really well. Who just thought a manager should be able to do something like that? I know, I know, again. but um, it, it, I just I just felt it was strange. I mean, in some ways, in a weird kind of way, he was he wasn't vindicated, but the call was settled by his set piece, which is what he was clearly worrying about. Um, but I, I just found it a little strange because you know to pick Jason Denier and that position to put him up against Etienne Capoue who I think we would all acknowledge is one of the better midfielders in the bottom half of the table Denier I don't think was ever equipped to deal with that and we saw that particularly strange because the manager has on previous occasions since I started that job started this job saying that he didn't think Jason Denier necessarily had a great stature about him he said that was a thing that he had to work on so to then pick him Mm. because of stature there's just something it's not all quite adding up at the moment and I think that's where much of the frustration comes from mm, absolutely I mean I haven't watched any of the game actually Sunderland's poor form saved me from a um, domestic political nightmare because it was my oldest birthday of the weekend and I didn't have to try and get around watching the match because I wasn't bothered so uh, I also didn't watch it on, on match of the day Michael because I think I'm halfway to acceptance because I actually did watch match of the day up until the point of Sunderland's game, where previously I wouldn't have wanted to watch Hull win their game. Do you know what I mean? Now I'm kind of like, you know what? We're not going to catch these teams anyway. I'm not bothered, but I still drew the line at watching Sunderland's game. Tell me about Jack Rodwell on the goal, Michael. Good enough, from what I can gather? I've seen the goal, but I haven't seen the highlights. Um, Not really at all. I mean, it was another bizarre point that Moyes made after the game where he said that we... Like we defended set piece as well, but then the set piece, the goal, sorry, ultimately came from a set piece which we didn't defend properly. So it's a little bit like um, Phil was saying there about inconsistencies. It's just what he is saying isn't making a great deal of sense, um, and it just kind of adds to the whole kind of David Moyes image which has been built up since his time at Manchester United, where he almost is becoming a little bit of a joke figure. Um, which is a bit is quite strong terms, but you all know yourselves if you go on social media, you'll see all the kind of I don't know what I'm doing memes, etc., etc. And these comments that he's making, I don't think are helping himself. And that is, I don't know, I think our fan base is kind of moving towards wanting him out, mm-hmm. which is a journey I think I've been on myself. Like we talked about well, Gareth earlier. It's interesting because people are certainly starting uh, to lean that way. Talking about ill-advised comments, Phil. We, at the top of the show, we came in with his acknowledgement about comments he made. Just. Want to comment on that quickly and move on? You can tweet us in uh, with your opinion on this if you want to, but it's a football podcast. I'd like to keep keep it at that primarily, but we do need to acknowledge it. Uh, well, I would just say that it was a um, you know I, I'm I'm not afraid to say that I think David's embarrassed himself with his comments. I felt it was a perfectly anyone who's seen the video, it was a perfectly legitimate question. It wasn't presented in an aggressive manner, and um, the line of questioning wasn't pursued aggressively after the initial response. 
So to respond in what I felt was more a patronising than a threatening manner, mm. I thought was um, ill-advised, indefensible. Um, but I would also count that by saying that as a journalist, um, you expect to have these confrontations with managers. Um, I would also say that it's incredibly important that a manager has the opportunity to air his grievances with journalists off the record and not have them plastered all over the internet because mm. that's a really important process to enable you as a journalist and as a manager to confront difficult issues on the record. It's incredibly important that you can have a relationship off the record. So I do have some, some sympathy in that sense, but the way he went about those comments was um, was, was embarrassing really and there's certainly no defence for it. I guess what he certainly didn't need was to... Uh have the um, have the chance to offer people another stick to beat them with, um, which is the last thing he needs at the moment. Um, speaking about, we were just talking about off air before we come on there, Phil, and, 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 and let's have a listen to um, what he said there, and we'll, uh, we'll elaborate further. This was David Moyes uh, after the Watford game when uh, you guys caught up with him earlier on today. Well, there's still a chance, so we have to keep going. I, I said that I thought we would have to win one of these two games because I genuinely do think that. I think to stay in the pack for the games which we have coming up, I know we've got a difficult one against Manchester United uh, at sun- on Sunday. But then I think after that we have a group of games which are they're possible that we can have opportunities to win. So that's why I thought winning one of these two away games would be would be key for us to be in that. Uh, for me, it hasn't changed. We we came close against Watford, and as far as that we we were in the game, we weren't out of it. We kept going. But we just lacked that little bit of quality, maybe to make the difference. But I was hoping that instead of us losing one nil, we could have won one nil. But it just didn't go that way for us on the day, and we we lost a poor, poor set piece in the end. So uh, we keep going, we keep going. There's still a big chance. Still a big chance. Anybody agree with that in this room, Michael? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then elaborate on that. Well, I think there he's talking about we could have won one nil or we could have lost one nil, and I think that has been a problem in recent games. The Burnley game, you could argue we could have won that if Billy Jones' header goes in. But for me, we aren't doing enough to win these games. It's almost as if that's the mindset of the club now. Like, oh well, don't worry, lads, because like I don't really expect that much better from you anyway. And no. mm. it, I mean, it's almost Wilkinson stroke McCarthy asking away, Phil, isn't it at the minute? Uh, yeah, I can feel I can feel the echoes of the Howard Wilkinson era. Um, Louder than ever. I was actually chatting with um, with Nick about that before the game, and that, that comes back to what we're talking about: this apathy and this futility. Not necessarily getting hammered every week, just not getting to the level required, just not being good enough, and that crushing sense of we can talk about Wabi Kasri, which I'm sure we will do. We've talked about Didier and Dong, and going over and over in these decisions, but also deep down, having to confront the fact that ultimately, would Sunderland be anywhere near safe from relegation with those two players playing every week? Probably not. And as a as a club and as a people looking at the club and talking about the club, we have to confront the fact that Watford are able to sign players and identify players like Etienne Capu and sell the club to them. Players like Mbaini Yang, who start the season playing every week for AC Milan. Players like Norden Amrabat, who you know was tearing up La Liga a couple of years ago. And for all the talk about the manager, and I accept that's totally fair enough because the selections have been strange and the results have been terrible. The fundamental thing is that clubs like Watford, who have you know half the size of the fan base going every week, have these structures in place where they can attract this calibre of manager, this calibre of player, and until 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 Sunderland find some way of doing that, then they're not going to be anywhere near these teams. Mm, I mean, it can that can change relatively quickly in that, in that you stabilise and have one 
mid-season in the Premier League, I do think the players are more open to, to playing for other clubs this year. You look at some of the players Stoke have attracted in the last few years. And I, and I do... It is an issue with the, with the Southern clubs, definitely. But I think what a lot of people are thinking now is if Moyes was giving us some indication that his signings uh, were, were good enough to justify him getting more money, uh, then he could begrudge the fact he didn't have more money. Um, back to Undong again, who, who actually does look a good, like a good signing, but his signings were all on the bench again at the weekend. That doesn't look, you know, that doesn't reflect well on him. No, it, it doesn't. Um, I, th- I think that's 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 absolutely fair. I think the contrast between. The, the the player that Eunice Kabul was for Sunderland, I think to identify Papi Djilabodji with his replacement and not to dig Papi out, you know, but frankly, anyone can see watching Papi that he's a player who needs a leader alongside him. He needs someone to talk him through the game, someone like Eunice Kabul. There is no way you could possibly think he was going to come in and do the job that Eunice Kabul did. And this is what I go back to about that being a short-term assignment, being in a difficult situation and just having to go out and say, what's out there? rather than having a longer-term process where you can identify a player and say, OK, what age is Eunice Kabul? He's got injury problems. And having that longer-term lens to be able to say, so if something happens, who can we bring in? And the fact that Papi is on the bench, for me, and has been on the bench for some time, just reflects the fact that that was another sign and that was just rushed into because of the short-term, short-term problems. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, one out of five might pay off. One out of five might come into the team and they might be excellent. But mm-hmm. you're not going to have prolonged success. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because David Moyes always um, lets us know how he's a, a sort of stingy seller, doesn't he? And he does have a track record rec- uh, at Everton where he gets big he gets big fees for his players. And, I mean, that's going to be interesting if he's still here in the summer, which by all accounts he will be, um, when, when you look at some of these players who are going to have to let go. It does reassure you a little bit that he's going to look for top dollar, but then, of course, a Eunice Kabul example is one way you just scratch your head and wonder if any other Premier League club would have settled for the fee that they received him, regardless of his age. Um, Wabi Kazri, um, we speak about him on every single show, and, and I do understand that, look, when things aren't going well, you do start to wonder uh, about the players that are being left out, and um, the, the cause of him to, to be included week on week are getting louder and louder, but Moyes himself acknowledged his input on um, on Saturday. Well, I think that <laughs> I think it was, um, it was a, a substitute appearance that showed that Wabi Kazri is not someone who's going to come in and transform the fortunes of Sunderland and it was also a cameo that showed why he should have been used a lot more often because you know he came on he got himself a daft button physically he looked nowhere near it at times you have to say that he looked he looked like he was blowing five minutes into his cameo but then at the same time he also received the ball in central areas got his head up tried to play a pass didn't just give it away as soon as he came under pressure um, so for me, it was sort of a, it was one of those. If 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 you back David Moyes over Kazri, you could point that substitution. You could pick out elements of his performance and say, well, that just goes to show it. But also, if you're someone who thinks Kazri should be playing, mm. you could take other things from it. And ultimately, you know, we we judge him player a player on a ten minute cameo every week, which you, you can't, can you? No. It's not, it's not a fair. But that's the issue, isn't it? Because I, I don't know what you think, Michael, but Barini and Yanazai play every single week. Um, now. What kind of pressure do they have? Because they must, they're going into games now thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get dropped. He doesn't like Wabi Kazri. He's not going to play me. Don't go. What more's injured? That's not good for anybody, especially at a time when you need people to roll the sleeves up, get stuck in, and make themselves undroppable. They don't need to make themselves undroppable. It seems. Well, no, and this is going back to the inconsistencies that we discussed earlier. Because Moyes has come out in the past and he says, oh well, Wabi Kazri gives the ball away. He's not playing because obviously the British just commented he made last week. 
But then he persists with Barini, who, let's be honest, he hasn't offered anything to the team since he came back from his injury. Yanazai, although I think he is a bit of a like a boo boy at the minute, and I think some of that is a little bit unjustified. But he's not producing on a consistent basis. So why not give Kazuri a goal? You know what I mean? Freshen things up. You're not he's not helping himself by coming out with these comments and then not really delivering on what he's saying. I mean he's just not changing anything, Phil, which Exactly. Can I just I, want to make one final point on, yeah, before we move on. I think I actually wrote something the other week about this that Moyes, I think, why, from a personal perspective, I haven't really been so critical of Moyes until recent weeks is because I really do like the concept behind David Moyes and having a manager on a four year contract. And I like the idea of stability. Nobody wants to keep sacking managers. And obviously, I've always been one to kind of fight his corner in terms of the injury situation and his lack of available options. But in recent weeks, things have just kind of been deteriorating, and the reality of the situation is things are just getting worse and worse. And I'm looking at the team on a Saturday, and I'm not seeing like any anything resembling a plan. And as I say, it just all these things are just kind of stacking up, and it's just kind of turning people's perceptions, like game by game. But certainly is. Does it look like he's flexible enough, Phil? Because he's, he's toyed with some systems. The three, the back thing worked at Crystal Palace, to be fair. That is the one game all season where you acknowledge Sunderland got it right tactically on the day. Uh, the players executed the plan to perfection. We haven't scored a goal since then. It's been five games or something. Um, but what it seems more and more likely to me is that the majority, I mean, just over half, probably 60% of the points Sunderland have won is when Victor Nietzsche has been in the team. David Moyes wouldn't normally play a system like this because he wouldn't accommodate a centre-forward like Jermaine Defoe. It's unthinkable that he could consider dropping Jermaine Defoe, but it seems to me like he, if an is not on the team, he doesn't have many ideas. Well, it, well, it reflects, let's be brutally honest, it reflects terribly when Sunderland are reliant on a player with an Ichibis injury yeah. record yeah. so that they can, to, to put it bluntly, simplify their game and give themselves a get-out-of-jail card. It's... Um, it reflects badly on, on everybody, I think, that that's the case that they're in. I think that I was in some ways disappointed to see the to see the back three disappear so quickly. First, just because I felt it suited Adnan Yanazai more because it seemed to give him a little bit more freedom to go and identify areas of the pitch where he could do a bit of damage on the counter. I thought Yanazai was very, very poor at the weekend and I understand the criticism because he isn't one to fling himself into 50-50s. But ultimately, he has something in the squad that nobody else has. He can drift past players. He seems to be able to spot where he can do damage. And that playing in that front two with Defoe just seemed to give him the freedom he needed to, to go and identify those areas. And it also gave Endong that little bit more licence to get a little bit higher up the field. We saw Crystal Palace's goal where he um, pounced on Joe Ledley and all of a sudden, rather than suddenly getting the ball in front of their own box, which they always do, and aren't good enough to pass it out, suddenly they were able to turn it over quickly and, and Dong had options and in the end he scored a brilliant goal. I think this front three of Barini, Yanazai and Defoe isn't working. It's too lightweight, they can't hold the ball up. I think we can all see that. Um, and but so it keeps it, going with it and going with it. And yeah, going no, with no, it and absolutely. And, and you know, for the reasons that I've just said about Yanazai, I, I don't hugely have a problem with him picking Yanazai ahead of Kazri, but Barini ahead of Kazri at the moment is just a decision that doesn't make sense. The logic behind that I know is that they retain the belief that Barini could be the man who gets a crucial goal. Um, but you have to say that the evidence doesn't support that at all. Um, I think he, I think he certainly has to... I think Barini certainly has to come out of the team and maybe be replaced with Kazri or, or maybe try and go back to that... Uh, as much as anything, like just putting aside one, uh, how much he dislikes Kazri, we're getting back onto this again, <laughs> we can't get away from it, but as much as anything, just to show a message to the rest of the players that, you know... 
performances that aren't good enough will be punished. Now, I know some people might say exactly that's why Kajri's not playing, but he hasn't had the chance to start. Barini, and I'm coming back to it because I've always said it, at the moment, is turning up every game and his place isn't in danger. And for a side bottom of the league, they need to fight, need to get points. That's not a good sign, not a good place to be. No, it's not. Um, you know, and you, you can't, I can't come up with one, give you one valid reason why Barini should have played the game on Saturday. Um, you know, it, it, I think you, what you say about Kazri um, is, is true, but the, the flip side of the manager um, probably doesn't want to be seen to be giving in to the fans. That's not me saying that as fact. That's me saying that as yeah. instinct. And that's the flip side of it is that it's um, it's a, maybe a little bit of stubbornness there as well, which well, is a trait. Which is a trait in every manager. Of course, it is. But we don't have time for it at the moment. Any positives to take from the weekend before we move on to the last game? I think the positive is that. We did start the game well and we won the front foot for a thing, but as I say, I just think it's not enough. It's not. Phil, any any performances or anything? Any positives? Um, uh, Jordan Pickford obviously was uh, <laughs> was excellent again. Yeah, goes without saying. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay, we're going to talk about the Leicester games, like the good old days where podcasts used to cover um, post-match and pre-match, before we sanitised it for you all, eh? just for, for personal gain. Only joking, keep listening. Um, okay, Michael, you're going down to the game, you'll be delighted about that. Oh yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> um, I think we talked earlier about, if you could cherry-pick two games, Watford and Burnley would have been two, which would jump out at you immediately. But for this game, I think if I could cherry-pick a game which we wouldn't want, it's mm. Leicester away. They're now they're bouncing, they're resurgent, they're playing good football, back to what they were doing last season. And I just think if you contrast the two clubs, you could not find a greater contrast. We're basically on the floor in terms of confidence, whereas their confidence is sky high. So, well, It's totally flipped round since we beat them at home, Phil, that, hasn't it? Because at the time, Leicester were in a very dark place, weren't they? Uh, looking like relegation, um, not certainties, but... People would, were certainly tipping them for the drop. They weren't playing for the manager. It was at a time when Sunderland were putting a little bit of a run together as well. Those those heady days. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't mean to sound too negative before a game, but you can't uh, sound too negative. Not with but, not with the, the guy in charge we've got. For but um, <laughs> well, you look at it, and uh, Sunderland are a team who are incredibly vulnerable to the counter attack because they don't have any pace whatsoever. Um, in a must win game against one of the best counter attacking sides in the history of the Premier League. 
And when you look at it that way, you think, oh dear. Um, you look at it that way, historically. So it's probably up there last <laughs> <laughs> Historically, Sunderland would go and win this game, wouldn't it? But uh, no, I, I, Michael's just looted the fuck there. I mean, David Moyes saying, all right, I, you know, things, it doesn't change we need. We needed one win out of these two away games. We, we said we thought we needed seven from the three before the Burnley game. Let's be honest. If you could have handpicked two games, as Michael's just alluded to, Burnley at home, Watford away, would have been the two you wanted. Why on earth... At the moment, is any Sunderland fan going to think that there's anything possible from this game? And, and it's just compounding, isn't it? Because you have Man United yeah. the weekend. I mean, I, th- I think that's exactly it, and I think that's what I, I said in today's echo about. At the moment, you have this kind of the long-term flaws are overlapping with the short-term ones, and what I mean by that is you can attribute a lot of this season's problems to what's gone before. But as much as you do that, you can't get away from the fact that there have been two huge missed opportunities in recent weeks, and you shouldn't just go back to pointing out the long-term flaws, that's fine and they're still there to be corrected. But you, you can't you can't get past the fact that the last two games, one point is is just not a return that's going to keep you in the Premier League. I think, I mean, what I was getting at there before we just come back in off, off the advert and the music was the inclusion of Victor and HP doesn't seem enough um, to suggest there's enough tactical flexibility. Now, Everton had quite a rigid system when David Moyes was there. Uh, it's You need a question whether you're back to the age-old argument, don't you, of, 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 if football's moved on. And, and how much time can you afford somebody? Like Michael said, the concept sounds great. We think his job's OK, but if he loses every game now from the end of the season, that's got to change, surely. Um, well... I know, you, I know you, I'm not asking you to speak out of turn. Just no, no, of... I mean, I, I just, I, I'm always I'm always a bit reluctant with these things purely because I, I you know, as someone in my position, I, d- I don't want to lead people no, no, to no. think something that's not going to happen. And, uh, don't know, speculate. I, just, no. just, just, just to reiterate that I don't think that David Moyes will go even in that situation. Okay. Um, what, what I would say is that I can, I can certainly acknowledge that what's happened in the last couple of games changes probably how people foresee David Moyes in the Championship. Because I can see why a lot of fans would say, well, given the teams that he's picked in the last couple of weeks, given the way the team's set up, why should we believe it's suddenly become better in the Championship? And of course the fact of the matter is it's not. He's not going to suddenly become an attacking manager in the Championship. He's not suddenly going to be someone who starts making very attacking substitutions. What I would say again is that what will make or break Sunderland this summer is recruitment again. And what I would say is, and I'm not necessarily pushing it forward is a great case for David Moyes to stay, is that at some point somebody needs to have a go at the summer transfer window from a position of knowing what they're after, from having established, made their own judgments about the squad, whether you like them or not, and to have had some time to have identified the kind of player that they want to sign, and to have put some feelers out, to have because we all know that that's how it works, to have started that process of who might be interested, and, and to try and build a team like that. Mm. I think I can... I my own I have my own reservations about what's happened in the last couple of weeks and certainly the selection. Um, but at some point, somebody needs to have a proper run at that summer transfer window. I, I agree, and I think most Sunderland fans do agree. What would help Michael is if he started to win even just a, the odd few games to uh, justify justify him being the man given the opportunity yeah. to do that. I know that that's what Gareth will be saying now if he is listening, he'll be screaming. Does he deserve the opportunity to do that, Michael? That's a question I'll obviously put to you rather than Phil. Um, on current form, though, um, up until recently, when's the breaking point? I think it's like you said there. It is not inconceivable that we'll lose tomorrow and we'll lose on Sunday. In fact, it's highly likely. And then confidence is such at such a low level. And then you've basically you're playing for pride the last few games. 
So if you go into games... Any small mercies? Would Lee Catamore coming back in make a difference? Perhaps, but I think we do just need a lift from somewhere. And I know when the football matches, obviously, the bail on end all, and like you say, the, Lee Catmore coming in might be a bit of inspiration and he should be coming in, but it's just all too little too late. For me, the end of the season and in the summer is the big time to really try and like give the club a bit of a lift because if we go down without any momentum... You go into the next season, you're already on a downer about a season in the Championship rather than thinking, oh, let's get back up. You're already thinking, oh, do we really want to go into a, to a new league with a manager who hasn't like inspired any kind of confidence in you? And I think I don't really like to praise Newcastle in any context, but I'm going to kind of do it here. Ooh, careful. <laughs> no, last season, the one thing about them, they did go down with momentum. Obviously, the whole hero worship of Rafa Benitez is still very cringeworthy, and it was cringeworthy at the time. But at least they went down. The club was united. They had basically switched it round from relegation to let's get behind Rafa Benitez. I know they had the money to spend, but the club was united and they kind of had a common purpose going forward. And you look at the football club now, and Sunderland, our fan base is fractured. You're looking at the summer, you're thinking who's going to stay, who's going to go. And really, I don't just want to sound really negative, but I just can't say any kind of positives. I think if, if and you have to say it's increasingly looking like when the relegation happens. I think you then enter an incredibly important time. I know I know. there's a sense that David Moyes doesn't get put under enough pressure in terms of questioning and what have you. I think it's a very difficult situation at the moment because as a club, they can't and you can't expect them to start talking about what will happen after relegation. No. You can't expect that. And that, that will become different when it happens. And I think it's hugely important that we try and give you an impression of what we're told about what we think might be coming, and we've talked a lot about changing the profile of player that Sunderland sign. Maybe Moyes going back to some of the things he's good at identifying players from the lower leagues, etc., etc. It's very important that the fans are actually given a much fuller picture, much fuller vision of that when the time comes. Because when, as you just mentioned, when when Gareth says, because I know what I said, that a lot of Sunderland fans will be turning around and saying as their instant response, well, what's been done to deserve the right to carry that out? And I, I, I don't have a response for that, I, you know, and which is why it's going to be an incredibly important time that the club are open and decisive if and, if and when it happens. I mean, it's just, apart from Allardyce, you know, there's nothing from previous appointments to suggest they would get it right anyway, if that's no. the case. No, well, it would be a very expensive decision as well. The, the structures still aren't in place, and that's where, in, in terms of the recruitment, you, you do feel like it's going to be a very David Moyes-driven thing. Um, which is that just repeating the mistakes of the past? Uh, it, it, it potentially is. I think um, I agree totally with Phil when he says that the summer's going to be a big time because if we are going to stick with David Moyes and that's a long-term fa- plan, then fine. But we need to sit down and say it. Look, like how committed are you to this rebuild? Like, what's your strategy? How are you going to get us back when we get back? What are you going to do when we get promoted in terms of recruitment in like just everything about the club? Because. As I said, we can't just go down with a kind of meek and mild surrender and then not have like any long-term pro- like prospects in place for the club. It's all very well talking about stability, but the word stability becomes meaningless if there isn't any substance to back that up. Do you agree with um, the idea that some of the younger players should be, I'm not going to say throwing the kids, but some of the players he might be reliant on next season in the division below, shall we say, one for Ben or there, um, <laughs> should be put into the team? 
this I, season? I think for it, or do you, or do you, or do you, is that is that holding the white flag up? Do you just keep going till you possibly as far as you possibly can. I, I don't suggest we should just throw all the kids in. You know what I'm saying? I don't suggest that like all the kind of better players under 23 should be put in at once. But no, I can't. I don't see any harm in putting the couple of them in because, like, like you Gooch, say, for example, yeah, because that might give people a lift. Because if you see someone like Gucci, he might have a few technical deficiencies, but at least he'd be hungry and he'd have desire and. I know the kind of simple, simplistic kind of buzzwords, but it would kind of give support a bit of a lift and something to get behind, and it might just kind of get a few, eke a few more points out and give us, as I say, just give us something to kind of get behind and believe in. <sighs> indeed, indeed. What about you, Phil? With younger players, Donald Love, Gooch, people like that, would it give anybody a lift? Would it make a difference? I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't. But... I, I, I have to I have to say that unless it significantly improved the performances, I don't think it would give anybody a lift. Um, and I don't necessarily just a bit think, freshness. I don't think it would. I, don't, I think I, that's my point. I don't think from a technical point of view improved, but like you said, there just fresh something a bit different. But we, I mean, when you, when you talk about um, you talk about Gooch, who, who would you necessarily say Gooch would come in the team for? Because I'm not sure any of the wide players at the moment. Yeah, in, in terms of an attacking position yeah. rather than that's yeah maybe. I, because I would certainly say in terms of the midfield, someone like Honeyman, etc. I think the current midfielders will probably still be at the club next season. So, you know. All of them? I would say I would be surprised if Gibson left. I'd be surprised if, if, if Ndong left. I'd be surprised if anyone took Rodwell on. So if you're going to need these players in the championship, do you mm. sort of take them out? No, and, and, and that's... I, we, to, we, to, to be fair, you know, what, what you're saying, playing them in one of the attacking areas, that I hadn't really been thinking that way, so... Maybe that's fair enough. Mm. Um. No, I mean it's one thing we've said. Uh, you know, a, a couple of people sort of jumped onto me on on Twitter after the game on Saturday, saying, "Are you still relaxed about going down, or do you still think it'll be good if we go down?" Which I never actually said that. <laughs> I just said it was it was the, the, the most relaxed I felt, and one of the reasons was because we referenced uh, some of those midfielders who were generally and collectively failing so far. Um, would look all right at that level. Do we think he will make any changes for the game, Phil? Uh, Remember the, mm. I mean, what? This is three days after a game, uh, so I'd, people like Gibson is he G- fit enough to start Gibson, another game? Gibson will surely be replaced by Ndong. We said probably that before more, the last game. As probably well. more for fitness. There's no way Gibson can play two games. I would say from what I've seen, um, and I can't see. Denier. But if you're looking for this Britishness, he might just put <laughs> he might put Larson in, the Swedish lad. He might do. He <laughs> might. He might do. Because um, he played against Burnley. I, uh, I, I don't. I don't think you can pick Denier at defensive midfield again after what happened at the weekend. So perhaps Larson and Dong will both come in. Um, I don't expect him to make any changes up front. Have you asked him at any point about the the way he's abandoned the three at the back? Um, oh, let me think. Um, I've asked him. Yes, the really the the top and bottom of it is trying to make. Um, find a way to get Barini, Yanazai and Defoe in the same team. Because we went to Crystal Palace and won 4-0 and we've said it before, we were doing alright against Southampton. Two quick goals by Gabby Dini, which I thought both uh, display an excellent movement on his behalf and the whole thing's just been abandoned, which is when you're looking when you're looking f- for a win and you're looking for points and you need to change things, it just it's just bizarre yeah, that he wouldn't go back There, there have been mitigating circumstances on one or two occasions. I know Kone was injured, wasn't he, for the Burnley game. I don't think he necessarily felt he had three centre halves who were good enough to play. Well, that's back even three without more damning on somebody like Gillibodji then. If if you don't, oh, think, yeah, I, for I, example, or Shea Denier and Gillibodji, if you, you know, if you just rule that out completely, I, I completely agree. But even Donald saying, Love could play a centre half, could he? I guess. Do you think? I don't know. Could he? That's what <laughs> I'm asking. No. 
not from what I've seen. No, could maybe play like hold midfield at a push, but not centre half. Mm. Okay, yeah. They like, I, you know, didn't really think that one through. Just came out, like verbal <laughs> diarrhea. I, I think gem- generally speaking, this the stop response. It's about goals, and for him, that means trying to get Barini on. This is what I've resorted to. This is what I've resorted to making stupid claims. I like put Billy Love in in, in central defence. Billy like, Love. Uh, Billy, uh, <laughs> this is what I've Billy, resorted to. Billy Jones could potentially play centre half. Well, uh, we saw got that, well, sort well, of got there well, in we'll the end. We before. saw that at Everton <laughs> last year, didn't we? And that was disastrous. Yeah. I might just go back and edit all that bit out. Can anybody? <laughs> can anybody see anything? At all other than a Leicester win? No, not at this point. Okay. The, the only thing for me would be because it's Sunderland and it's what we do. So, and we always do that little thing where we give us a little bit of hope to cling on to. We can't just get relegated with a bit of dignity. So, well, what Sunderland have also done in the past is lost their final ten games. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.